What is popular music? Britannica Online defines it as any commercial-oriented music principally intended to be received and appreciated by a wide audience. Generally in literature, technologically advanced societies dominated by urban culture. Unlike traditional folk music, Popular music is written by known individuals, usually professionals, and does not evolve through the process of oral transmission. Grove Music Online goes further and says that popular music is a term used widely in everyday discourse, generally to refer to types of music that are considered to be of lower value and complexity than art music, and to be readily accessible to large numbers of musically uneducated listeners rather than to an elite. It is, however, one of the most difficult terms to define precisely. That is partly because its meaning, and that of equivalent words in other languages, has shifted historically and often varies in different cultures, particularly because its boundaries are hazy, with individual pieces or genres moving into or out of the category, or being located either inside or outside by its different observers, and particularly because the broader historical usages of the word popular have given it a semantic richness that resists reduction. The meaning of popular music is ever-changing in K-12 schools. Historically, choirs and orchestras were first found in K-12 music. Later, bands were introduced, followed by stage bands, as jazz big bands were originally called to gain acceptance into the curriculum. These ensembles became the status quo for many decades. In the 21st century, there has been a push for more culturally responsive teaching and to embrace the differences in diversity that students bring. The educational system has found ways to revolutionize itself. Music education has also been part of the change. Within the last 20 years or so, it has become very popular and common to see modern bands in many schools, as well as other non-traditional ensembles like mariachi, steel drums, percussion ensembles, and in some schools, even bandas have been introduced. In Texas, for example, it's pretty common to see schools with norteño or conjunto groups. So little by little, music educators that were once formally trained in the classical realm have begun to expand their musical training and their musical diversity and embrace what has become popular music. Today we're going to be talking with one music teacher that has embraced popular music in her school. We are here today with Ms. Karen Lopez, who's the current music director at Rancho Dominguez Prep High School in Long Beach, California, but it's part of LA Unified School District. So can you please give us a brief history of your music education and your current position at Rancho Dominguez? What are you in charge of over there? 
currently the band director at Rancho Dominguez Preparatory School. I've been there for seven years now. This is my seventh year. I teach instrumental music to grades six through 12. So I teach guitar. Right now we have percussion. We have beginning instrumental classes, so winds classes, which one I turned into a music tech class because of COVID. I teach the, the marching band at school. After school, I have different groups. So I have the color guard. I have the modern band. The spring, we have the mariachi. Wow, that's a lot of music ensembles that you have going on over there. You talked about how you have a guitar class now and you turned it into a percussion class. Could you elaborate on that? Initially, I was supposed to teach four beginning instruments classes. One, I turned into a guitar class a few years ago. And then the other three, one, I turned into a music tech class because of COVID, because we can't really play indoors at the moment. It just seemed easiest, especially because it was hot when we first started. But um, then the other one, I turned into a percussion class. So I teach guitar. The other one's percussion. Beginning winds and uh, music tech are my beginning instruments classes at the moment. All right. Now with the guitar class, is there a specific curriculum that you're following? Are you doing classical guitar? Are you doing what would be considered contemporary or pop guitar? So I, I kind of do a mixture of both. So I follow the Hal Leonard beginning guitar book. But in between that, I like I usually especially when I'm introducing chords and stuff and when we're practicing chords, I'll use uh, popular music to reinforce the chords. So I work with little kids rock. So I use their website a lot. I'll just look up popular music that the kids are into at the moment that have chords we're working on. And then we practice our chords that way. And that's a great way of infusing culturally responsive teaching in the classroom because you're taking the music that the students are listening to right now and you're using that as a teaching resource. So kudos to you on bringing oh, in. You were, you were talking about your modern band class after school. How does that work? So that's similar to the guitar class. So I invite kids from all my classes who essentially want to do like modern band slash rock band slash pop band, whatever you want to call it. It's essentially guitar, bass, drums, voice, piano. And then sometimes we'll throw in some wins depending on what we're playing, but it's just kids from all of my classes that are invited to further expand on their instrument. Or if let's say they're in guitar class and they really wanted to learn drums, that's a good way to do it too. Or if they're in the percussion class and really wanted to do keyboard or voice or whatever, like that's a great way to do that too. Now, why is it after school then? Why not um, today? I kind of incorporate modern band second semester in guitar class, but the after school program allows kids from like the marching band to join. It allows kids from just the, all the other classes to just make one big group. So it's a way for uh, being inclusive with all of your music students. Yes. And then that group gets to perform. I mean, pre COVID got to perform outside, like in the community. Uh, we got to perform at the Roxy every year. So that was a group, one of the groups that got taken out to represent the school. And with that group, what's your role in that group? Are you the facilitator, the sage on the stage, or the guide on the side? All of the above. So I try to 
make it be a little more student centered. Like I let them pick their music. I let them, I just kind of give them like the, hear the chords, let's run it a few times. And then they kind of just do their own thing. And then we just eventually create kind of like a set list of music. And some of the times I'm in the room with them, once we start, once it gets, it progresses more throughout the semester, like they're kind of on their own. Like I'm sometimes working with other kids doing other things and then they're just practicing their songs. So that means that you have plenty of room for you to be able to have this ensemble going on, or do you have ensembles that are modern band? How many are there? We have the modern band is one big group and I do have various rooms. So they can be in one classroom while let's say maybe kids from one of my beginning wins classes Maybe I'm working with them in the other classroom, things like that. But at the beginning, I'm very, I'm more hands-on with the modern band until I know I can kind of let them go on their own. And then I start working with other kids. Cool. Now, this is a question that I'm pretty sure other music teachers have. How's the funding for that? For you to be there after school, is there funding for you specifically to be there? Not necessarily, no. I kind of just do it for fun. We get a stipend every year, but it's mostly for marching. That's a sm small stipend that supposedly covers like all the performances we do and all the rehearsals. But at the end of the day, no, it doesn't cover everything. Okay. Now the equipment that the students use, did the school buy it or how did you go about acquiring that? So most of that equipment was through donations, whether uh, like the initial, I think the acoustic guitars we used for that specific program, we got through Little Kids Rock and then some of the stuff was already there when I got to the school, like some of the electric guitars and basses, but a lot of the stuff I got through donations, either off Craigslist or the Mr. Holland's Opus Foundation or just people like teachers bring saying, Hey, I found this in my garage. Do you want this? Just mostly through the donations. That's so awesome because it takes a village to run a successful music program or any program. These organizations and resources are often the lifelines that many music programs in schools can count on. So since we've talked a lot about the the curriculum that you're using, which is, of course, Little Kids Rock, have you participated in any of their other events? I think for Little Kids Rock, I've only done their, their workshops. And then when they, have the, in, when they invite the modern band over to the Roxy to perform, and I think that's it. I've never done the big conference that they have in the summer the future, I would love to attend their big conference. Now, prior to you knowing about Little Kids Rock, what were you doing in terms of modern band, or did that not exist when you were in the classroom? That didn't exist. That didn't exist until I came on board. So at the beginning, I think my first year, maybe first two, I taught just wind, wind instruments. We had guitars. I don't know. Uh, that wasn't my forte, or it's not my forte. So it was just something I brought in just to change it up a little bit. Because I was teaching like four classes of the exact same thing. And I just kind of wanted to give the kids an extra option. Because a lot of the kids, a lot of them have the ability to be with me for seven years. So seven years in the same class is a little boring and redundant. Now we have more options. We have percussion, guitar, the tech class, which I'm not sure I'm, I'll keep forever, but yeah. Now, I, I wonder, you touched the, on this. You said that it's not your forte, 
But when you were younger, were you involved in like a garage band or any activity like that? I guess so. In high school, I thought I was going to be a rock star, like every teenager. <laughs> but it, you said it's so, not your forte. So you did have some experience. I guess I, I guess I meant guitar wasn't my forte. Guitar. Okay. Yeah. I was always the drummer. And cool. uh shower singer, or what do you call that? Yeah, I was always a shower singer. Would you say then that your training as a pre-service music teacher, did you have anything that resembled teaching an alternative ensemble or a modern ensemble when you were going through school? No, no. I think my experience with modern band throughout my life was probably just me jamming out with friends, thinking we were rock stars in somebody's garage. I think that was it. That's the way it's done. <laughs> That's the way you, you're supposed to do it. This is an individual that went through a prescribed course in music education at a university. Despite being a music education major, there was no such course preparing pre-service music teachers to teach popular music. What have you seen change now in education, in music education? Is there more of an acceptance of modern bands or your non-traditional ensembles? Yeah, I think so. I think it allows, at least for me, it allows me to further engage the students uh, through various ensembles like that, that target certain cultures. Like I have kids from all ethnicities in my mariachi band. And I love to hear them like singing Spanish music and like kind of learn more about about other cultures and stuff. And this is a key component in culturally responsive teaching where the teacher genuinely takes an interest in the students' cultural backgrounds and learns about their students as well. And so like with Modern Band, I have kids that maybe they're really into hip hop and rap and they're like, oh no, like I don't listen to rock or I don't listen to country or I don't listen to any of that stuff, but yet here they are, like, we're all playing the same music, like they're playing uh, country music, pop music, uh, Spanish music, rock music, music that they would uh, typically not listen to or not be exposed to. So I think that's why I like having the different ensembles, because it gives the kids insight into something different, something they typically wouldn't have stepped into on their own. That's great. You have so many opportunities for your students to showcase their musical talents and interests because at this age one of the professors at USC William Kennengeiser says the best music you ever heard you heard it when you were 16 years old and I think that's the music that kind of sets you up to your musical preferences later on in life and here we see a great example of music being the door or the gateway to other cultures that students would not necessarily had the experience or the chance to explore. Now, you talked about you have students that are into rap and whatnot, and you also mentioned earlier that you had or music tech class. How's that going for you, and how did that come about? So the music tech class came about during quarantine, during the when the pandemic started. It was, I think, all of my instruments classes reverted to that. It was... Uh, a way for me to still teach music in a fun and engaging way. So I was still teaching theory, but now instead of them having an instrument in front of them, like that they could touch, they were learning through virtual keyboards. 
virtual keyboards, learning how to read the music, and then playing it on the virtual keyboards, and then taking simple melodies and either turning them into something of their own, or just adding little things like, oh, let's add a drum beat, or let's now add a drum beat and uh, maybe a guitar or bass line. So it was like a fun way for them to still somehow be engaged in the music class, still learn music theory, still somewhat learn how to play an instrument, but also gave them an outlet to express themselves and to, to just deal and cope with everything that was going on. Like I told the kids, if I just want this to be a, like a fun class because I know there was a lot of things going on people everything with the with the pandemic every the world was turned upside down so i just wanted to give the kids a way to express themselves and to uh journal whatever it was that they were going through through music and using that wow there's so many questions that i have with that and one of them is you talked about teaching music theory so does that mean that in all of your ensembles including your guitar class and the modern band class and obviously music technology that you bring in music literacy to it or is this something that you don't bring right away or how do you bring in music literacy if you do to your other ensembles i typically bring music literacy first that's like a big key component of it like even in guitar class that's how we start and then eventually it's just okay now let's learn about tabs let's learn about chord diagrams and things like that so everybody ideally knows how to read music, at least by the end of the semester, and then by the end of the year, of course. That's one approach of bringing music literacy. Now, my other question to you was, in music technology, did you have any training before the pandemic, or was this baptism by fire, learn as we go? It was definitely baptism by fire. I think I learned how to be a music producer, video edit, videographer, video editor, all in all in one week. <laughs> the only way to do it, right? Yeah, yeah. They started. Uh, someone in, in the Midwest decided to create this virtual band, and that kind of blew up in all of our faces because it was like, "Hey, I want that." Like, let's let's do. Why can't they did virtual a, a virtual band? video why can't we do one and every it was just like a snowball effect so it's like okay let's let's all do virtual ensembles and virtual bands like yeah so we all had to kind of learn on our own and people had no idea that all of these people that they saw on tv had a team of video editors and sound engineers doing it yeah and now it was just me in my room doing all of it the pandemic really forced the education system to rethink how education is done. For music teachers, the pandemic forced us to find creative ways to continue to make music while still maintaining social distance and online learning. And it was this predicament that has inspired many music educators to think outside of the box, to think outside a traditional way that we have been teaching music for so many years which is also the same way that music was taught to us. Where do you see music education headed? I'm not sure right now. I'm not sure. I, at least for me, I felt, I felt really supported pre-pandemic and even still so now, but 
it's just it's just hard with all the restrictions and everything going on it's kind of hard to build a program so i'm not i'm not sure but what about building on other programs that don't necessarily require wind instruments like you talked about for example your music technology class and your modern band class do you see that in the future music education is going to continue to embrace these alternative ensembles or different ensembles? I think in order to have a successful program, you're going to have to kind of roll with, with the punch, our new, new things. So if you're not integrating that into your classroom or into your programs, like I think you're sit, setting yourself, setting yourself, sorry, you're setting yourself up for failure because you're not embracing like you said earlier like you're not integrating things that your students like uh you're not bringing in like a culturally responsive atmosphere to your classroom so i think i think you kind of have to now do you see any limitations though uh for me personally i don't think so except for uh, obviously all the COVID restrictions go on right now. I think as long as the, I don't know, it's kind of hard because every program is different. Like you don't have the funding for it and you don't have the ad admin support, then it's kind of hard. And that is by far one of the biggest and most crucial things needed to have a successful program is proper funding and administrative support. Something that a lot of schools are lacking now, there are many restrictions on how money can be used to fund music programs, but a real creative administrator will work with his or her music teacher to find ways to solve this problem, because after all, we're doing it for the kids. Now, before I let you go, is there anything else you want to add in terms of music education, popular music education? I think adding and integrating popular music into my into my curriculum into my classrooms has really allowed me to further engage my students. Uh, those students that, like I said before, maybe just were into um, popular music, hip hop, or Spanish music, or something like that, that initially didn't think like, "Oh, I don't want to learn how to play guitar. Oh, I don't want to learn how to play a trumpet." Oh, I don't want to learn how to play a percussion instrument. Those kids are like thriving because they're like, hey, wait, you mean I could learn how to play the songs I like, but also learn about new music and and uh, expand on my musical taste? Like, sure, why not? Like, those kids are thriving. So a word of advice to music educators, just uh, if you can integrate that stuff into your classroom, do it because that's a, a great way to to build your program, to further engage students and just to keep students learning and motivated. It's great that you're giving pre-service music educators a word of advice. Now, what advice would you give to university officials in preparation of those pre-service music educators? So I think the biggest piece of advice I can give university advisors is encourage students to to get out there, to get into the classrooms, get more experience before just kind of throwing them into the fire. Because one thing is to learn by reading a book and watch these uh, ideal scenarios 
in a classroom from YouTube and how to class do classroom management through these like cookie cut um, videos. But another thing is like being in front of the students and like being put into the fire. What, about in, world. what about in terms of popular music education? I would say maybe find organizations like little kids rock or things like that, that, already have something established and bring it into the university and have have the students start experiencing that so that way when they do get in front of a classroom it's a lot easier it's a lot less scary and they have a little bit of experience excellent so ladies and gentlemen that was miss karen lopez the music director at ranch dominguez preparatory high school in Long Beach, California. However, it's part of Los Angeles Unified School District. Thank you very much for your time, Ms. Lopez, and we hope to hear from you and see your students real soon. Thank you for having me. Have a good one. Now, Ms. Lopez is in a pretty unique situation. She actually went into a school that was very modern, already had an established music program. So it was, as they say in the real estate market, a turnkey program. What she did was just go in there with fresh ideas and help the program grow. Now, many music educators may not have the same luck as Ms. Lopez. Many of us will face certain challenges that are pretty common for many music educators. One of the biggest challenges that many of us face is the lack of dedicated space to have a modern band set up. Oftentimes, we may only have one room that is used by all classes or sometimes shared with another teacher. Funding is also a big issue. While there are organizations like the ones mentioned earlier, sometimes those organizations have a finite amount of money to give. Unfortunately, the majority of, of the money that is allocated for schools to use have certain restrictions. Art programs rarely, if ever, get any of that money. This lack of funding has made educators get creative and have fundraisers to help out with the running of a program. But if we're also in charge of other performing ensembles and classes that don't receive direct funding, we must raise money for all classes. This can create issues for anyone trying to start a popular music program, as the price tag on buying equipment can get pretty high. Another issue that educators may run into is scheduling particularly at the middle and high school levels. Students have to take certain classes that are required to graduate, and oftentimes the music classes conflict with each other. A possible solution is having it after school like Ms. Lopez and other music teachers do already. Adequate teacher preparation is also an issue, as many music educators were classically trained in their pre-service schooling. Popular music was something rare that universities were teaching 10 years ago, let alone 15 or 20 years ago. There needs to be more acceptance from higher education programs to better prepare the next wave of music educators. Popular music has been around for centuries. It isn't going anywhere. In-service music teachers need to embrace it like Ms. Lopez has and use it as an educational tool to bring in more students to enjoy music making, be culturally responsive, and stay current with the times. Pre-service music teachers need to be equipped with the tools needed to run successful popular music programs. 
The training begins in music education programs in universities and continues with K-12 school officials supporting music programs by investing in instruments and scheduling. Having discussions about popular music is the start in K-12 schools, as many teachers already do that. But eventually, performing ensembles should be brought to life so that more students can participate. And remember, popular music doesn't just have to be modern band. It can be music technology, mariachi, or any other ensemble that's not traditionally found. Thank you.